Welcome to Music 316, the last class on Friday, December 11th, 2009. So we're skipping our next example on CD number seven, which was the Tibetan song contest between men and women. And we're going on to religious music of Inner and North Asia. The most common religion in Inner Asia and North Asia is shamanism. And shamanism is a religion of direct personal contact with gods and spirits, where the shaman creates a personal relationship with a helping spirit who will come to him or her, because there are both male and female shamans, and will help with diagnosing and curing diseases and with other kinds of problems that people are having. Shamans relate to their helping spirit almost entirely through music and dance, and particularly through drum playing. The shaman is perhaps the um, strongest example in any world religion of a musical means of communicating with gods and spirits. The shaman's drum is a special way of communicating with gods and spirits. The drum is partly a compass with which shamans find their way through the world and partly a console by which they pilot themselves to the worlds of gods and spirits. Among Bumbo shaman, these are shamans who belong to a lineage of people who studied with the same teacher to learn the songs and the dances for calling upon the gods and spirits to help them. Take a look at their drums. As they dance, they play on the side of the drum that's facing away from them. Paintings on the drums have circles of dots, white dots or red dots, representing the sun, moon, and planets, and the stars. So the drum is a map of the universe. And on this drum, you see a bird flying straight down from heaven to earth. And this represents the flight of the soul, the travel of the soul from between heaven and earth. And this is what the shaman's religion is about, communication between heaven, earth, and the underworld, the three layers of the universe, by the flight of a soul. And the shaman's drumming and singing is intended to stimulate this kind of flight back and forth between the earth and the other realms of existence. In some drums, the bird is more stylized than in this one. This one is pretty, pretty much a natural bird shape. And there's another one here. And of course, the shaman himself or herself flies back and forth between the earth and the heavens of the underworld. He's doing ritual preparations. I'm going to skip 
these. He's singing the legend of the first shaman who back at the beginning of time went on a quest for the drum. He went to the mountain at the center of the world that connects earth and sky. And from that mountain, he cut a tree growing between the earth and the heavens. And he used the wood of that tree to build a drum. And he used the skin of an animal that could move back and forth between the levels of the universe to create the skin to play the drum. And the drum became enlivened like the horse-headed fiddle of the Mongols, became filled with the life and the spirit of the spirit animal who can move back and forth. And the drum becomes his helping spirit. And so by means of the drum, he's able to fly from one side of the earth to another, uh, from earth to heavens, from heavens to earth and underworld. And he's able to call on the spirits who live in all of those places to come and help when they're needed. The bells are the daughters of the first shaman. He uses several means of diagnosis. One of them is fire eating. One of them is divination with fire and water here, but I don't have time to show you that. And then drum divination, where he takes his drum and plays it and sings a song of divination while he has the person with the problem. There's a sick girl over here. And he has her put grains and flower petals on the drum while the shaman plays it. And sympathetic vibration from the playing on the lower drum head causes the, dr the grains and the flower petals to move around on the drum. And when he tips it, they go off in a particular order. And depending on that, he reads it as if you were reading a cast of dice or uh, a cast of other kinds of game pieces and divines whatever the cause of the illness or the problem is from the patterns that they make. But his main uh, technique of diagnosis and of healing is dancing and singing and drumming to call upon the helping spirits. Again, I'm going to skip you through this and take you to a possession ritual where he calls the spirits to come and help. And he starts out by playing this drum rhythm. And that is a rhythm that's used to get the attention of the spirits. And he sings a song praising the spirits and praising the first shaman who many, many years ago invented the drum and got the helping spirits to come to the sound of the drum and to promise to help him and his followers forever. And by the force of that promise, he's calling upon the spirits to come and help him find out what is wrong with that sick girl. And soon he changes to a different rhythm, a fast, steady beat that is pulling the spirits down to him. This is a compelling kind of music. This is a very powerful kind of music that brings the spirits in. You notice he drums with his hand on his knee, so it's actually the shaking of his knee that is doing the playing of the drum. And as he 
drums, he leans into the drum. He's overcome by the force of his own music. But he's overcome even more by the power of the spirits who are coming into him. Because these are very powerful spirits. They're not bad, but they are strong, stronger than an ordinary human can control. And so there's a danger here to a shaman when he calls these powerful beings into himself. They could kill him or they could drive him crazy. They are strong in mind and strong in body. And there's a danger always now as spirits start to come and as he starts to shake more and more that those spirits will destroy him and leave him unable to live or to function anymore. And so there's a struggle between him and the spirits. Is he going to dominate the spirits or are they going to dominate him? Because the whole outcome of the ceremony, but also his whole life afterwards, may hang on the results. And he stops singing. The song gets interrupted. He's unable to continue with the singing. And that's the only way he has to control the spirits, the singing and the drumming. If he loses that, then the spirits will win. And now he starts missing drum beats. And this is the most dangerous point of all. And sneezing happens when the spirits enter your body. So what's going to happen? Is he going to get the drum back? Is he going to get his song back? Will he control the spirits or will they destroy him? And there's the drum. And he's back in control. He's riding the spirits. And he'll start to sing to bring them even more under his control. And now we know things are all right. Even though these are powerful spirits, he has them under control. He's singing and dancing and controlling them. And now he's going to ask them what the cause is of the girl's illness. And by the song he's singing, we know that this is Kadga Yogini, a Buddhist goddess who has come into him. And he's hoping that she will speak and give the, the message he wants. 
And that was her. That was the goddess speaking, using his voice to deliver her message, which was, I don't know what's going on here. I don't know what's wrong with the girl. I have to go now. Goodbye. And off she goes. And immediately he starts to shake and sneeze again because another god starts to come into him. Somebody in the audience said, gotta go, and she said, gotta go. And there she goes. Now here's the new god. So he identifies himself as this fierce black god, Buddha Gombo. Who also says that he doesn't understand what the cause of the illness is, and he has to go. And so the gods come and go one after the other. And it can be like a commuter station for a, for a while. The ritual can go on all night with dozens of gods coming and going. And if you're lucky, finally one of them will give the answer to what the problem is. But maybe you won't be lucky. At the end, maybe he will say that you committed some kind of spiritual offense against the gods. Sometimes he'll say, you haven't been eating right. Sometimes he'll say, you have a medical condition and you have to go to the Western hospital and see a Western doctor and get treated for your medical condition. There's no way of knowing exactly what the result will be, but there usually is one kind of result um, or another. Um, and in this case, um, he was able to give, give a, a diagnosis that satisfied the family and resolved the case satisfactorily. Shamanism is making a big comeback in inner Asia. It was, there was a, a very strong attempt by the Soviet Union to destroy it um, starting in the 1920s in Siberia, Mongolia, and elsewhere. And it existed underground for many, many years. But finally, with the fall of the Soviet Union in the 1990s and the 2000s, shamanism came roaring back, or maybe I should say drumming back. Um, and now there are shamans re reappearing all over the former um, Soviet territories. So this is a growth industry, not quite yet as big as Christianity or Islam or Buddhism or some of the big world religions, but definitely an international religion and one that is growing at a great rate of speed um, proportionately to its size. So, sorry, someone, you had a question, yeah. So, in the beginning, you said that Sometimes they actually die from these rituals, like the shamans do? Well, you know, the stories that you hear are always friend of a friend oh, okay. stories, right? So people will talk about so-and-so shaman um, um, died from his ritual because, because um, um, the god um, took control and he couldn't, he couldn't control him. Um, now, 
Some people will argue that that <coughs> is a special shaman's way of explaining that the guy had a heart attack while he was, while he was drumming and dancing or some, some other kind of natural cause. And some, some people will explain it purely in terms of the shaman and his relation to his open sector. Yeah? Is there a particular pantheon that they draw from? There's a, a, a very non-particular pantheon that consists of heavenly gods and local gods. Um, and um, uh, for a quick overview, I'd recommend a book called Shamanism by Murcia Eliade um, that in just a, a short um, narrative of 600 pages gives you a little bit of an idea of, of, of what, the re what the religion is like. Uh, yeah. Do they ever use like hallucinogens or anything like that in their shamanism? Do they ever use like the water or anything like that? Hallucinogens. Hallucinogens. No, they're not supposed to use hallucinogens. No, it would be considered faking if they did. Okay, I was wondering. Yeah, although it varies from place to place what's considered um, legal and illicit for shamans. So in some places they drink strong tea, in other places that's considered a no-no. In some places they'll have a rice beer, in other places that's um, not allowed. Um, um, so there, there are a few things uh, that, that people disagree on. Some shamans smoke and others don't. It's hard to say, but by and large, no. The idea is that if the um, trance or the special state of consciousness is brought on by drugs, then it can't be brought on by spirits. And so if a shaman gets a reputation for substance abuse, then he's going to lose, lose his clientele. No. In much of Inner Asia, the religious scene was changed by, by the importation of Buddhism. And that came particularly in the form of Tibetan Buddhism that was spread from India up north into Tibet by way of Nepal and other areas close, close to Tibet. And Tibetan Buddhism has some very special forms of Buddhist music that we want to take a look at here. There's a special kind of Tibetan Buddhist vocal melody, and that is a song with fluctuating pitches, or yang. Yang is a tone contour melody, like the Japanese shomyo, which you remember consists of sliding pitches. And like the Japanese shomyo, yang uses a traditional musical notation. The circles are drum beats.
now take a look at this next notation curve. It's got a big curve up and down, three very small ones, and then three medium-sized ones that are bigger than these, but smaller than this one. Now, if you remember in Japanese Buddhist music, you had a shomyo example that had a notation like this, a big curve, and then three medium curves, and then three small curves, like that. Now, it turns out that not only are the Japanese and the Tibetan notations related to each other, this curve notation, but so is their musical meaning. And it would be easier to see that if you flip this notation over. The Japanese notation reads down from top to bottom like a string of Chinese characters, but the Tibetan notation reads from left to right. Let's flip this one so it reads from left to right. And then let's take the Tibetan one and you can see that they have the same elements, a big curve, three medium curves here and at the end on this one, three small curves at the end on this one and in the middle on this one, but they're closely related. You remember the Japanese one was performed, oh, oh, like that. How's the Tibetan one performed? We're going to skip this part. No, I'm sorry. I'll skip the next part. I'm just going to jump from here over to here. But I didn't do that at all. Because the theory isn't always the same as the music. Now they're going to do all the notation curves again. So I'll put that up on the web for you so you can print out the notation to see while, while you're listening. So you can see it while you're listening to the example. Or, of course, you can watch the online streaming video, which has this notation 
on it so that you can see the relationship between the two. And I better refer back to the handout. So that was example six on this CD. The shaman song, Inviting the Spirits, was example number five. And the last one on here is a piece of instrumental music called Days of the Waxing Moon. And this is a piece of program music that paints a picture of the moon. According to the Tibetan calendar, the new moon is the beginning of the month, and the full moon is the 15th of the month. And so Days of the Waxing Moon depicts the moon filling out from the new moon at its smallest size on the first of the month and getting bigger and bigger until the 15th of the month. And that generates a mathematical formula of, I guess the, the simplest way is the sequence is 1, 3, 5, dot, 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 15. From new moon on day 1 to 15, uh, full moon on the 15th. But that's a little too simple, so just to, to make it more interesting, you can add 1, 2, 3, 4 times 2, and then a musical repeat sign there, because that becomes your formula for the whole piece. Except you also have to have an introduction, which you're going to make 1, 2, 3 times 2, but you want to add an extra 3 to each of these 3, and an extra 1 at the very beginning. So, that becomes your mathematical sequence for, for the whole piece. Did I mention that uh, Buddhist musicians like to use mathematical sequences? Well, they certainly do. And the notation for this one, translated from Tibetan numbers to English numbers, is on the last page of your handout for CD7. And so you can see how this goes. Now, one thing you have to understand, though, is what is a Tibetan beat? because it's different from the concept of beat in not only Western music, but almost every other kind of music. In other kinds of music, a beat is like one, two, three, one, two, three, two, three, one, two, three. They're all the same length, and they repeat. They take a certain amount of time, and they repeat at the same length. The Tibetan beat works like this. It's based on the physics of the cymbals, and the Tibetan beat starts with bringing the cymbals together, okay, but it doesn't end there. How does it, how does it um, end? Well, first of all, if you hit the cymbals together, what happens? They bounce apart. They're springy metal. They have a potential energy in them that works against the kinetic energy of my playing stroke so that if I didn't move them apart when I hit them, they would do this. Oops. Whoa. They would bounce together and bounce apart again. And as you heard when I slipped on that last one, if I didn't move them apart after the second stroke, they would do this. Oh yeah, they go on for a long time, don't they? And um, you can make that extend into a long series of accelerating 
short strokes, they call them pulses. And so they start out with a long and loud sound that is dependent on how hard I hit them together. But then after that, If I can keep them balanced, they just keep going quieter and quieter, faster and faster, until finally it fades out into a kind of a hum at the end. So the whole thing from here to here to there and so on all the way down to that hum at the end is the beat. Now, those beats don't divide in half easily, because where's the halfway point? Uh, you can't say a one and a two and one and two and one and two. There's no halfway point, because there's no even division of time within the beat. How do you make them equal? You hardly ever try to make them equal because it's a lot more interesting to make them unequal. If you have three beats in Tibetan, they're one, two, three. Well, that's a lot more interesting. But if you really wanted it to be interesting, you would add another one, two, three. And finish it off like that. And that would almost be a three beats, but most Tibetan musicians would add an extra beat or two on at the very, very beginning. So you'd probably end up with a total of nine beats played in your three beats. This is asymmetrical music. This is music that does not fit a mechanical grid. If you want to consider it from a mathematical point of view, it's a rhythm that is based on logarithm. That is because you could graph it on logarithmic graph paper where the lines get smaller and closer together or I use the word logarithm to indicate a rhythm that's based that way. And that's the kind of rhythm that you find in days of the waxing moon. And so you have the notation on your handout for days of the waxing moon. And here is the actual piece of music. Romo means instrumental music. These are two oboes, double reed aerophones. These are conch shell trumpets. There's another one over here. Two conch shell trumpets. And you hear the cymbals and the drums. So let's move to the start of the days of the waxing moon. Now, it starts out with an introduction of, called three beats, which is actually counted one, one, two, three, three, one, two, three. 
series of accelerating beats. Ton, 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 Three, four, and they turn back to the right. One, two, three, four, and four is a lot longer than one, two, or three. One, two, three, dun, 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 dun. that three is long, and they go around the symbols once, and come back around the opposite direction once. Turn to the left. One, two, three, four. Dun, 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 dun. Around to the right. One, two, three, four. Dun, dun, dun. And around to the center. One, two, three, four, five. Dun, 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 dun. And around once clockwise, around once counterclockwise, turn to the left and one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, and back to the center. One, two, Three, four, five, six, seven, dun, 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 dun. and now we're going to have to move ahead quickly to the end. So this is a ritual, right? This is a ritual. This is New Year's. And you're calling in good fortune, good luck for the New Year. And here's the very end on beat number 15, around once. Clockwise once, counterclockwise, up on the head, and down on the chest. And that's the end of Days of the Waxing Moon. Happy New Year. Everything should be good for you from now on. We end the class on a good note. We hope that you come back Monday on a good note, too. We'll see you then.